Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Good morning, everybody. As we now turn our minds and our hearts to Scripture, we are beginning a new sermon series called The Prodigal Story, where we consider Jesus' well-known story, the, the parable of the lost son. So our Scripture reading comes from Luke 15. Starting in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the, a citizen of that country who sent him to, the, uh, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He, when, he came, uh, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. I love this story. I love this story so much for years and years and years when people have asked me, what's your favorite verse? What's your life verse? Your... I've always just said the parable of the prodigal son. I just... It, speaks to me in so many different ways. There's so many different ways we could read and understand this story. So we're spending the next three weeks uh, reading and, and discovering this story through different lenses. 
because this parable has many different things to say to us. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at it through the lens of the younger brother. The week after that will be from the older brother's perspective. But today, we're going to look at it from the father's perspective. And to help us with that, we have a guest preacher, Jenna Minix. Jenna, would you please come up here? Jenna is... Um, she is a licensed uh, professional counselor. She is a gifted, gifted counselor. She's also a leader at our sister church over in East Austin, Vox Vignette. Uh, she has a gift of wisdom. Uh, she teaches. Uh, she's a professor at the Seminary of the Southwest where she teaches. Uh, but before that, though, she was my best friend in middle school, his older sister, I would sneak out of Ethan's house late at night and throw firecrackers down the alley and wake up Jenna, I'm sure. Uh, but she's here today to lead us in just discovering what this word is ha having to say to us about the perspective of the Father in this parable. Would you please welcome Jenna? And I'm, is that better? Hi, Vine friends. Um, I am just overjoyed to have this time with you this morning, and uh, as Mark was giving me that very generous introduction, I'll say just a little bit about my work. Uh, so my role at the Seminary of the Southwest is on faculty. I'm a counselor, and I teach students who are training to become counselors, and I'm a theological educator, which the combination of those two uh, is just a really um, unique, special place for me to be doing uh, my work in the world. So I spend my days in thought and prayer and conversation about the integration between theology and biblical scholarship and insights from counseling and psychology and how we can bring them together to equip us to live our faith in a way that helps us care as well as we can for our health, our relationships, our community, and our planet. And so that's just a little insight into, um, into my day job. I am, I'm also married to a pastor on staff at Vox Vignette. And, uh, and Vox uh, is a community that knows you, has known you for a long time, loves you, has prayed for you. And so I bring you just greetings from your friends at Vox, and we are very aware of the work that you are doing here in Austin to love each other and to care for and serve your neighbors. And so um, I just, I couldn't be more thrilled to have this time with you this morning. Uh, also, as Mark said, uh, we sort of grew up together, and um, I have memories of my friend who had a crush on his brother and us calling and pranking his house in the middle of the night. And I have so much empathy now as a parent of teenagers for what that is like, and especially empathy for your parents, particularly. Um, and I actually think we have a picture of Mark from very early on. <laughs> Vine, does that just make you love your pastor that much more? I think when I asked his permission to share this, he said, yeah, those were my good years. He said, I peaked early. <laughs> so as, as Mark shared with you, he invited me to come and, um, and kick us off with this sermon series on the prodigal story. And um, today we're going to be looking at the story from, through the perspective of the father. And... Jesus often uses 
these common human narratives and turns them on their side and says, see, this is how God is. And so I'm going to invite us into a conversation today about the father in this story and how he responds to the child and what we might come to understand better about God from, from reflecting on this parent and how we might come to understand who God is and how God relates to us through this story. So I want to invite us to start off by noticing that we can learn something about how a parent thinks about their child by listening to the stories the parent tells about their child. For instance, you don't know me very well, but I'm about to tell you a funny story. I'm practicing what in counseling we call self-disclosure. So a funny story about me growing up, my parents would tell you that I would follow directions, but not exactly. Like, I would go to timeout, the place I was sent to for timeout, but I would always keep one toe over the line, just to say, I'm not, you can't completely tell me what to do. So, how might I, that behavior be described in your household? What might you say that that tells you about me as a child? I'll tell you some of, some of the things I like to think of that. Like, I would think of it as like creatively defiant, maybe. Or like uh, endearingly disobedient, maybe. Yeah? So, now I'd like to learn a little bit about you all. So would you take a moment and reflect on what, how would you have been described growing up? And just a word or a phrase? And would you mind turning to a neighbor next to you and sharing what comes up to you, for you when you think about that question? How would someone have described you growing up? Just take a moment. Okay. Did, did a word or a phrase come to your mind? Did any brave folks willing to just call it out? Just call it out. How would you have been described? Say it loud. Smart Alec. Good. We're in good company. What else? Who else? Oh, come on. We're going to get to know each other real well. Rebellious. What? Rebellious. Rebellious. One more. Their favorite. Their favorite. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. We have a little stretching of the truth going on this morning. <laughs> so so let's, let's consider how the child in this story is described. So we heard, as the scripture was read, this story from Luke is about a child who uh, asked for all his money and then goes off and spends it just in extravagant living, just lavish pleasure. It would be as if, so we have a son in college, it would be as if Jordan came and asked Jason and I for his whole college savings and then took it to Las Vegas, ate at the best restaurant, and just gambled it all away and then, and then came to his senses and then came back home. And how would we, how would we respond? That's, that's what we're going to discover in this story. And so this is what the word prodigal means. It means lavish, excessive, extravagant, wasteful even. So this is how we often characterize the child in this story. And the question I want to invite us to consider today is this. How do we imagine the parent in this story? might be described? And what can we come to understand better about God and how God relates to us? 
through understanding the parents in this story. Because Jesus' stories are often uh, told to help crack open our understanding, to expand our understanding of God, and so that we could come to, to trust God that much more, so that we could consent, say yes to God that much more wholeheartedly, so we could collaborate with God more completely with what God wants to do in us and through us. So this is one of those stories that Jesus is taking of an everyday human story and turning it on its head. And my hope for today is that we'll leave here with a slightly different way to think about God as a parent and that that might spark greater trust between us. So here's perhaps the first thing we might notice in this story. It says the child set off, returned back to his parent. He's preparing to beg to ask his parent if he can just come back as hired help. But while the child is still far off, the father sees him and is filled with compassion and runs and puts his arms around him and kisses him. So what does it mean that the parent in this story is filled with compassion? So we're told the word compassion means to suffer with. And I want to invite us to notice how the parent in this story suffers with the child even though the child brought the suffering on themselves. And I want us to notice how the parent suffers with, like what the parent's responses to the child look like, because I'll confess that when my child is suffering, I often do not generate the most helpful response. And so I want to invite us all just to think as parents and human beings, with the children in our lives, when they're suffering, how do we often respond? So for instance, if it's a child who's suffering because they've just gone and done the exact thing we told them not to do, how do we typically respond? Or if it's a child who's suffering on an airplane in the row of seats right behind us on a long flight, how do we often respond? Uh, I'll share with you a, a funny story, and it's okay to laugh at uh, another example of an unhelpful response that uh, I often have to my children when they're suffering an, an injury, like a physical injury, and uh, I want to think in my head that I would like see them injured and run to them in compassion and hug them and kiss them. But more often, if I even just think that my child is injured, I'm gonna show you vis visibly my response. It's this, I go down, I tend to pass out. It's like this, the most unhelpful response you can think of. I can't explain it. I'm a counselor. In an emotional crisis, I am solid. I'm in charge. I can get help. I know what to do. In a physical crisis, it, it, my child doesn't even have to be injured. I just, if I think too hard right now that my child is injured, I might pass out and Mark would have to finish the homily. I'm like, have you seen those fainting goats? They just faint. That's, I'm, it's like so unhelpful, unreliable, and completely useless. So there are helpful responses in a crisis when someone is suffering and unhelpful responses. And so let's look at how the parents in this story respond. When the child was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion, ran, put his arms around him, and kissed him. So I want us to ask us this. There's an image that we could reflect on as we're just imagining what Jesus is suggesting here about how God responds to our suffering. 
even when we brought the suffering on ourselves. And if it's difficult for us to reconcile this idea of God's compassion, it might be because we're not often as compassionate with ourselves as we already heard reflected so beautifully this morning. We're not often that way with our children. Many of us, uh, our parents were not that way with us and they just did the absolute best that they could. But we're invited to begin to wrap our minds around this notion that God is different. Different from most of the human parents that we know. Paul says it like this, It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, which is often different from how I think we imagine God responding to us when we're in need of correction or instruction. So perhaps the suggested practice this week might be to reflect on what it means that God is compassionate toward us, even when we're suffering for something we've done. That perhaps God is not harsh with us, Perhaps God is like Jesus suggests here in this story, a parent who suffers with us. And I'd like to invite us to become just curious if we were to allow that notion to sink in deeper, what difference it might make. So going on, the second thing we might notice about the parent in this story is the parent's response to this comment of the child's. So the child kneels down before the parent and says, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So let's pause here a moment, and I want to invite us to consider what notion of love is reflected in that child's statement. And what notions about love and worthiness might we have picked up somewhere along the way about what makes us worthy, worthy of love, worthy of belonging in our families. As parents and teachers and aunts and uncles and grandparents, we often try lots of strategies for teaching our children things like responsibility. Our daughter, Gracie, is 15, and Uh, I'm going to share with you my sense of what one thing she's learning about worthiness right now is that when we're trying to coordinate a a place to pick her up from a football game on Friday night and when we're calling her and she is not answering her phone, she is learning that she has sinned against heaven and against us. And she needs to earn that privilege of being worthy of rides. Rides are a privilege. But let's notice the difference between that and what the child in this story is worried about. He isn't worried about special privileges. He's worried about basic relationship, about belonging, of being considered part of the family. This is a child worried that the parent's love is conditional based on what the child does or doesn't do. And yet the parent in this story responds in a way that makes it clear that this parent is what we would call unconditional. And I want us to really reflect on this for a moment. Is it possible that God relates to us that way? That we are worthy of love and belonging in the family of those who God loves, regardless of what we do or don't do, just for who we are.
The word worthy means deserving, having merit, doing something to earn what we receive. And so as we reflect on this, let's just notice that our culture is really big on this. And uh, if we Google parenting advice, the first several articles that often come up are some variation on the theme of how to raise kids that are successful and mentally strong and full of grit and high achieving. And these are all good things. We, we are living in a culture that values hard work and teaching children that nothing is given freely. That value is very much rooted in the philosophy and the, the political ideology of our country. And it's a good thing for us to want to raise our children to be successful in the culture that we're living in. At the same time, let's just be clear about how that message can blur the lines. It can easily become a message to the child that our love for you is conditional. You're not loved for who you are. You're loved according to what you do or don't do, how well you succeed or don't succeed. And I think this can happen in, in families where we have the best possible intentions. And I'm, I'm right there you know, with all of us trying to um, prayerfully consider how to um, tease out these different messages. And I'll share with you um, a story that's been very formative in my life. When I was around two years old, my parents, like many that we know, uh, took in a foster child. His name was Gabriel. I have a picture. See, Mark, you're not the only one that I <laughs> will embarrass with baby pictures. That's me on the left, and that's Gabriel. And for, um, a, for a, a while, we were raised, the two of us and my parents planned to adopt him. And so, you know, as you would expect, said, we're going to be together as a family forever, and we're going to love you forever. And then as often happens with foster-to-adopt situations, circumstances changed, and his needs changed, and it became really clear that um, there was another family that was going to be better suited for him. And that ended up being, I am sure, probably the best possible thing for Gabriel. It wasn't until I was much older that I realized that the story that I told myself about why Gabriel was given away was things that would make sense to a two-year-old. Things like, oh, maybe he was given away because he couldn't ride a tricycle well enough, or he couldn't chew with his mouth closed these things that my parents were trying to teach us. As, as I was growing up, I came to live with this secret fear that there might be a line that I could cross. If I didn't do things just right, I too might be given away. I think many of us learn to live with these messages, even if we can't articulate them. Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I don't actually belong. Maybe. If I don't do things just right, my parents might give me away, or even God might give me away. My parents never gave me that message. It wasn't true. But as children, we pick up notions about love and worthiness from lots of different places. And for me, that's part of just the Christian life of maturing and growing and healing, is unraveling those messages. I think that's the beauty of salvation, is coming to understand God and perceiving God's love more clearly. God is unconditional. God doesn't expect us 
to do things just right. God has never expected that. And like the parent in this story, God is unconditional, no matter what we do or don't do. So Vine friends, let me just invite us to reflect on that. And let me be someone who reflects that to you this morning. No matter what you did last week, no matter what you do or don't do this coming week, you are worthy of compassion, you are loved, and you belong in the family of those who God loves, just for being who you are. I want us to wrap up now by looking at one more thing that we might notice about the parent in this story, and that's this. The text tells us the parent met the child and wouldn't even let the child finish before speaking. And the parent said, you're home. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. For this child of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So the story goes on to talk about the parent going to these great lengths to prepare food, lots of food, and putting expensive clothes on the child and jewels, and giving the child all of these excessive, extravagant symbols of love and acceptance and belonging, giving lavishly, excessively to a child who has already proven they can't be trusted with anything. So what are we to make of this? So as we've said before, prodigal means lavish, excessive, extravagant. So might it appear that there may be more than one prodigal in this story? Because we're encountering here perhaps one of the most startling notions about who God is and how God relates to us. This parent in this story is extravagant. And I'm aware that Mark just preached last week against extravagant living, like unsubscribing from more and consumption. And that is a really important message. So we're invited to hold both of these things together and and consider perhaps this is another way to look at what extravagance might mean. Extravagant love, like the parents love in this story. So excessive, so over the top in its giving of affection and comfort and reassurance. Reassurance of the exact things that the child needed reassuring. You are worthy. You belong. I will never give you away. So Vine friends, perhaps this week, may I invite us to just carve out a few minutes in our busy days to reflect on what it might mean that God might be more compassionate, more unconditional, more extravagant in God's love towards us than we typically imagine. This is my understanding of the heart of the gospel. It's true that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still children, On our worst day, having learned nothing, Jesus gave everything he possibly could to remove any question lingering from our mind about who God is and how God thinks and feels about us as children, as members of the family whom God loves. Would you allow me to close us with a prayer 
Uh, it's from one of my favorite poets. He's an Irish priest. His name is Padraig Otuma. He's the community leader of um, an organization in Northern Ireland. It's one of Northern Ireland's uh, oldest peace and reconciliation organizations. Otuma has this way of speaking about God that invites us to expand our notions of God and, and, and entertain the possibility that God thinks and feels and speaks of us very differently than we typically are aware. So if you'll, will you just settle in with me for a moment? Just find a comfortable uh, position in your seat. You're welcome to gently close your eyes if you'd like. Begin to deepen your breath. Let's let some silence just settle around us, acknowledging that silence is never completely silent. And let's find a, a place of silence and stillness within us. I'd invite you to gently Become aware of God's presence. It's always right there in and around us. And if you'll allow me to pray this for us as we close our time together. This is taken from Otuma's a prayer to greet the morning. We cannot force God to stumble over us where we sit, but it's a good idea to sit anyway. So every morning we sit and we kneel, waiting, making friends with the habit of listening. We say hello to chaos, to unmade decisions, to our unmade beds, our desires and our troubles. We say hello to distractions and oppressions and privileges, and we greet the day, and we greet our beloved and bewildering Jesus. We greet the things we think will happen, and we say hello to everything we do not know about what will happen. And we greet our stories, and we hope we can forget our stories, and we hope we can also hear some stories and we hope to greet some surprising stories in the days to come. And we greet God. And we greet the God who is even more God than the God we greet. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.